Hey, welcome to the Kinked As Fuck Podcast. We're your hosts, Nika, Frankie, Kyra, Alex, and Crystal, here to sort of detangle the kinks. Wait, like combing? No, we're not combing out our hair, we're deconditioning. Unlearning the ideas that were imposed on us by others. Sharing our stories as black and brown women, navigating the kinks of life from personal growth, healing, and friendship. Even the things too kinky to talk about in the office. We're Kinked As Fuck. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us on the Kinked AF podcast. I'm super excited because today we have some very new guests uh, to the podcast episode. Um, But this is very special to me. This is very close to home. You guys have heard that uh, both Kyra and I have some acting under our belts. We uh, do some theater performance. And currently I'm in a show called The Curse of the Puerto Ricans. And I am so excited that my friends joined me. Today, we have Kendrick Dunn, the marketing director. We have Marta Torres, the director of the play. But we also have Rosa Fernandez, the playwright. So we are super excited to hear from all three of you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get started with um, Kendrick. And if you can tell us just a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from, what you do, what you love, all that kind of stuff. All right. So my name is Kendrick, and I'm from Dallas, Texas. I'm a native. Um, I have my bachelor's in marketing, and I'm the new marketing director at the Bishop Arts Theater Center. Um, I love the arts, and um, my passion is to help artists spread their message to the world. So that's what I love. Thank you, Kendrick. All right, Marta, tell us more about you. Uh, Hi, y'all. I'm Dr. Marta Torres. I am an educator. I am a racial equity specialist, but continuous lifelong learner to continue to systemically change the systems that we all live in, right? Mm -hmm. I am an art educator, so art administrator, museum education specialist. I'm also a theater, like I say enthusiast. I've been doing theater since I was 13 years old. Um, and I am the director of Curse of the Puerto yes, Rican. I am in Dallas, Texas, via Calle Puerto Rico. That's where I call home. I'm an island girl. That's where I grew up. I consider myself Mexican and Afro-Latina because that's just when you look at me. Have you ever had the pleasure? I, <laughs> I am very much an Afro-Latina. So I'm so happy to be here with y'all. I'm so excited to be sharing space with all of you and with Rosa, who wrote this beautiful, beautiful play. Oh, my God. And it is. Thank you. Rosa, please do us the honor of just telling us who you are, what you do. Tell us everything, Rosa, whatever you want to share. That's a lot of pressure, but I'm going to try my best. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. So my name is Rosa Fernandez. Uh, I am a theater artist. I went to Brooklyn College for my theater degree. Um, and I feel like I, I have to say this now. It's like I never graduated. Um, and I, and I, mm. you know, I can speak to that because I had a kid while I was in college. Yeah. And so um, I started doing theater. I, we relocated to Buffalo. So I'm based out of Buffalo, but I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, and yeah, and I'm trying to find my way in this theater world right now and trying to find if there is a place for me here, but I write stories that I feel passionate about. I write for the people I want to see on stage. Um, and I try my best to write from my experience. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's who I am. I think I covered everything. 
Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> you definitely did. So um, the title of this episode is Curse of La Familia. And basically what we wanted to talk about was not just like the premise of Curse of the Puerto Ricans, but how that story or that theme or the topic in Curse of Puerto Ricans really permeates uh, in so many, with so many other, amongst so many other communities, right? Um, the intersectionalities, how we can talk about um, just the, those commonalities. Like, what what is that? What is that story? So I'm in the show, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about the show. I want you guys to tell me about the show. So <laughs> let's pretend that I'm not in the show, Marta and Rosa. What would y'all tell us? Uh, the Curse of the Puerto Ricans is about. Well, I don't know what it's about. So, yeah. so shit, let's go tell ahead. me. Yeah, shit. Let's learn a little something. No, I I know, but I'm just saying. Go ahead. Uh Rosa, mm -hmm. you wrote the play. What 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 inspired you to write this play? Um, I wanted to write a story from the Latinx, Latine, whatever we're calling ourselves these days, perspective, um, that I didn't mm -hmm. feel like I was getting mm -hmm. a whole lot of um in you know, just, just looking for plays that spoke to my experience, spoke to the experience that I grew up with. Um, but also, this is really hard to, to sort of articulate. I think I, I, I wrote mm -hmm. this play thinking that it was going to be one thing. And that's always what happens when you're writing something. The first draft, you think it's a story. Mm -hmm. you, you think this is the story. And then you get closer and closer to it as you start revisioning the piece. Um, yeah, and I I wanted to write a story about a family, about a family that I knew, you know. Mm -hmm. um, there's a little bit of my family in there. There's a little bit of my husband's family. There's a little bit of every type of family that I've encountered, right? And, um, mm -hmm. and I wanted to speak to that experience. And it was my first play. So I think that when you, when you start out, you're like, I got to write what I know. And I felt like I, I knew Latino families. I was like, this I know this family. <laughs> so that's what I wrote. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate, this is why I don't want to know what it's about, but I'm going to learn today. <laughs> because I feel like I'm going to know how this plays out because my family's Puerto Rican. And I'm afraid I'm going to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like oh, I read the first paragraph. Eh, I know how. But this you ends. know what, Frankie? You don't. The thing is, it's not limited to just the Latinx or the Latine mm -hmm. community. True. Not just Puerto Ricans, not just Dominicans, mm -hmm. not just. It is a story that a lot of us share from different cultures. Um, and it's basically, you know, there are so many, so many themes and so many nuances in the play. You know, survivors, survivors' remorse, right? Codependency. You know, um, I don't know, guilt. Um, what else? What would you say, director Marta? What else? What else do you say is represented in this in this play, in this production yeah. that we want to make sure we amplify as we tell this story? So, like, it's just it's, it crosses cultures, it crosses the boundaries of just the Latino, Latine, Latinx community. It really, and I think that's what attracted me the most to it when I read it beyond the fact that it's an incredibly beautiful poignant story written beautifully um mm -hmm. when i read it i could see it i could see it and i could see myself in it i could see my family members in it and i knew instantaneously that that was going to be true for whomever saw this play they were going to be able to find themselves one way or the other however you identify as because it crosses mm -hmm. that, right? We've had 
the experiences the experiences these characters have are experiences that all of us at one point and another within our family dynamics have experienced um in the sense of how we interplay with each other how we find ourselves among our family how we break away from our family to fully come into ourselves and i believe that's such an an intrinsic and important thing that we have to do we have like i moved 2622 miles across the ocean away from my family to fully come into mm. myself mm. and when i read this beautiful play I was like, yeah, people are going to resonate with that, those underlying themes of family and family dysfunction, because we all have family dysfunction, because um, we, ca- we carry generational trauma. We do pass it on. Um, that's why when I, re- I write Curse of the Puerto Ricans, I'm like, what's, what's the curse, right? right? What does this entail? Um, and when I read it, I was like, oh, I see. I see. I'm like, ooh, that's curse of the Mexicans. That's curse of whoever <laughs> reads this is gonna yeah. resonate with them. So all of those intersectionalities, right, of of identity and mm-hmm. like defining who you are as an individual, I think that's a universal story, and it's the it's the glue that holds this story together. Mm-hmm. And without telling too much about the story, because the mm-hmm. show opens this week, we're super excited. Yes, and Rosa's going to be joining us here in Dallas. Super yeah. excited. We didn't say this. Okay, so Rosa, you said this is your first play that yeah, you wrote. Yeah, this is the first one. that. I- so <laughs> snap, 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 snap. Kudos to you. So it's like, wow. I would have mm-hmm. never imagined this was your first play. Go ahead. No, what were you no, saying? No, no. I, was just, I was just saying, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is this is the world this will be the world debut of this production um this is the first time that this story is being told but it's not the first time that this story is being has been seen it's not the first time that um anyone can relate to what's happening in the show but also what i really appreciate and i have to i, I just have to commend kendrick and marta for this big time because this is a time when Puerto Ricans are really visible in Dallas. You know, I, you all know I'm half Puerto Rican, half black. Um, I've lived in Dallas since 2005. Um, I came to Dallas at a time when people would ask me, like, what language do Puerto Ricans speak? And I'm like, what the, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Shit what language do we speak? <laughs> It's like going on a, a scavenger hunt to find pasteles. Right, know. exactly. And so, and, and, and the markup is insane. Hello. And so, what's happening is this is hap- this show is taking place during a time where there is a lot more visibility, or where we're trying to have a lot more visibility. And this show is giving us that. Like this play is giving us that. It's giving us a space. It's giving us. It's giving us a platform to tell a story. And so, um, I wonder, Kendrick, like. How is this different from other productions that you have worked on? Like, how is this story, this particular story, and the work around just making this story uh, visible and more, um, what's the word that I want to use? Just you at, in marketing, just making this story, um, just giving it traction. How, how has that been for you, considering Puerto Ricans are not, like, people that you see commonly here in Texas that you know of? Like, in Texas, you really see black, white, and Mexican. You don't see a whole lot of other yeah, well, I'll go ahead and say this. So this is actually my first production with the theater. Um, so I'm new to the game. <laughs> but whenever I did, um, whenever I came in and I had the opportunity to have a, a 
blank canvas and really put all my ideas out there. I was really scared. I was nervous because I was like, mm. "Here's the Puerto Ricans, like, I don't know anything about, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that culture. I don't know, you know, that history. Like, and my thing is, my goal as a marketing director, I always wanted to remain authentic, you know, especially when it's dealing with uh, culture and and history and story and putting all those things together. Being authentic is like the main aspect for me because when you have authenticity within the story, within the marketing materials that you tell or that you put out there, it allows people to connect with it um, better and it just feels more, more real. Um, mm -hmm. But it was, it's been an amazing journey. Um, I've learned so much. Um, I've gotten to connect with um, different platforms out here in, in Dallas um, that are for the uh, Puerto Rican community and have different events. And I uh, like the Puerto Rican Association of DFW, like what they do for the Puerto Rican community is awesome. Um, and just getting able to connect and hear these stories and, um, and being able to create authentic material has been awesome. And it's, it's been yeah. great. And even learning, like, you know, we have the, the artists that are going to be showcased in our gallery in the lobby and learning that there's not a lot of Puerto Rican um, artists within the DFW and knowing that we got two of some of the greatest ones in here. Oh, my like, goodness. Yes. Yeah. Their work is amazing. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. And I just I didn't. Can we? I'm sorry, Kendrick. Can we say their names? Who are the artists? Yes, so it's uh, Noen Rivera and Magali Smith. Okay. Yes, and there's also, you can find their um, their work on Instagram as well. You just go to the Bishop Arts Theater Center um, Instagram page. You'll be able to see that we tagged, uh, tagged their Instagrams in there. Yeah, thank you. So um, <clears throat> we don't want to focus too much on just the show, right? But I just want to say the premise of the show, um, and you all can help me out, Rosa, you wrote the play, correct me. Uh, Marta, wherever I'm missing, because you know sometimes I need help with my cues, Marta. So, <laughs> so um, I just want to say, so like while we're talking about the curse of the Puerto Ricans, um, we're talking about the story of a family where there are three daughters um first well let's say this is more than that there's a family where there's a mother a father three daughters and a potential fiance or a fiance we don't know we'll see but um in this story what i love about my character the way that she's introduced or the way that she's ex uh described is millie the one who left and that is a story that really resonates with me because um particularly in in Hispanic culture but also in black culture and um, you know I, I can't I can't speak for any other culture because those are the two cultures that I'm familiar with um, a lot of times um, in a family it is your responsibility to stay and help the family so like the next generation helps the previous generation and so on and so forth um, sometimes breaking tradition by leaving is mm, frowned upon by the family um, or uh, it could be supported um, to help elevate the family. In this particular story, we're talking about three different sisters who have very three different, very 
three very different lives, excuse me. Um, they take three different paths, right, as far as we know. Um, and my character is Millie, who leaves. Um, and she goes on to pursue her education, to pursue her career. And she's just kind of, like, out there doing her thing. She's not really, like, you know what, whatever was going on at home, like, I'm leaving that behind and I'm ready to start something else. And then there's Julia, who's kind of stuck. Like, what do I do? Like, I, the family really depends on me. I'm somebody that the family needs. I'm somebody who is, like, instrumental in this family. I can't go. I could never make a decision for myself. Yes, she has dreams. She has dreams and she has goals and she has desires. And we don't know yet if she's going to fulfill those. She's going to see those things come to fruition. But um, that's, that's the premise of the story, right? What am I missing? What am I missing? What am I not saying? Who's not represented in the story? Well, I think that the the story specifically of of um, uh, what substance abuse can do to a family is present in this play. That um, and that's definitely something that I I thought about a lot while writing this play, um, and how it sort of uh, in some ways can can almost rob aspects of your culture because you can't be in the same room as your extended family a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah. You're speaking to and me. Right. You are speaking to me. I, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to be at my uncle and aunt's house alone. Say more. Couldn't. I had to bring my brother or I could not feel, mm -mm, couldn't do it. Mom didn't trust him. So it was weird. Very weird. Yeah. Crystal. But you still visit mm -hmm. them. Right. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Theo, and, just here for a rose. <laughs> and then yeah. add, as, like, <laughs> no, go ahead. Just like adding, adding the layer of being in La Diaspora, of being away, like removed geographically from that, that anchors you in your culture. And then when you add substance abuse and family dysfunction and all of these things on top of that, it, it creates it's almost like a bubble, right? It's, it's a, a very interesting break between what could have been, what is, and what could be. Mm. And I think that's something that's always underlying this script is what could have been, what could be, and everything in between, right? If these things had not happened, if their family had played out differently. Um, and for, for me, like, I left Puerto Rico six years ago. Like, leaving Puerto Rico and being away from Puerto Rico and growing up between two cultures, it's really, there's this longing that never, ever goes away. And it's for something that you don't even really know, right? And I, it's because yeah. it, you've never really been submerged in it in that way. So I think that's such a strong undercurrent to the story, too when you add up all of those elements up and I think it's so so present but so quietly present throughout the whole entirety of the of the story and the narrative so Martha yeah. can I ask yeah. you what sister do you identify with the most mm -hmm. like out of all of the three oh gosh um <laughs> <laughs> that's a I'm, great question Kyra uh, I want to hear it Look, I want to hear the answer. So I'm a mixture. I actually identify very, very closely with Julia and with Millie. Um, I think I'm the Julia that leaves. Like, I'm Julia mm -hmm. if she left. Mm -hmm. um, 
and okay. because I'm very much the glue, I feel like a lot of the time. I'm the eldest daughter of a Latin I'll family. Mm-hmm. Period. And <laughs> that, that's it. That's it all was. you need, right, Rosa? <laughs> <laughs> Credentials. So, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rosa, Rosa, you wrote it. So here's my question. Um, Which sister are you? Because I'm sure yeah, you wrote so, this so from. It, so it's really funny because uh, Kendrick actually reached out to me and was like, hey, can you do like a blurb about why you wrote it? And I was like, Kendrick, that's a lot. I don't know how I wrote it. Um, and I kind of <laughs> um, had to examine why I wrote the play to begin with. And, um, in that sort of examination, I realized that I had told myself, oh, I'm just going to write this play as like a, you know, the, the Latinx experience, like the living room drama that we see with the, you know, we see the couch and everything, but it's like, it's a Latin family. So it's going to take place in the kitchen. Um, I told myself that that's why I wrote it. And then, um, one of the like things that my husband mentioned, he was like, oh, I, I heard that like if you write something very specifically for one person, that it's going to make it even clearer and, and, and more, you know, specific. And so I took that and I had a friend who was like in a really like toxic relationship at the time, all that stuff. And I was like, I'm going to write this very specifically for my friends. And mm. then comes like, you know, the pandemic happens and. I'm like evaluating my whole life and all my life choices this year. And I realized I was like, Oh my God, like, Oh crap. Like I wrote this play for myself. Like I, I was not ready to hear this message when I wrote it, but at the risk of being TMI and why not? Because, you know, Rose is feeling a little messy today. I'm going to be messy. AAF. Um, I, I'm not on speaking terms with my family currently. So it's very, that's kinked as fuck. That's the purpose of the yeah. episode. So, I mean, the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So it's go ahead. right now. I'm not. I haven't spoken to my sister since November. Who who was who? Baby was raised. That was uh, mm-hmm. based on. Yeah, that was oh, my. Wow. That's my sister. Baby is my sister. I'm mm-hmm. definitely Julia. <laughs> Nene is based very very much mm-hmm. on my on my husband and his experience. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I gotta. I so. Is the reason, since we're there, is the reason, okay, I wrote a dramedy, and it's based off my sister, and it's some fucked up shit, and I put that shit in the closet, and it's some fucked up shit, it makes my mom look bad, makes her look bad, I try to change the names, but they just all rhyme, and I said, I can't put this out there, and I've hit it, it was, it's finished, so did they break up with you since you published it? Or a breakup with you, You've, or it's just it's no, always. Um, it's really it's funny because like my mom actually went to go see a reading, mm-hmm. and and so for different reasons, I'm not talking to my family. But like, my mom went to go see a, a reading mm-hmm. of it. Well, when it was done here in Buffalo, and I mean, I think that my mom is just so like that she like did not. I was just like, yeah, this is just like a toxic mom. Good. But I I don't think I realized at the time how much Milagros is like my mom. And then this, oh my I literally had like this, like, you know, you know, you're having that conversation with your therapist and they say something where you're like, yeah, your mom is not nurturing. And you go, wait, what? But she's my <laughs> you're mom. Right. Why didn't I know that? <laughs> 
that that yeah. part yeah. she's a monster You're yeah, right. I kind of unfortunately <laughs> had one of like you know I've had several of those moments in therapy and it took me a really long time to get there so I don't think that she was aware at the time and I think she's just so like Mew, like not paying attention to anything mm-hmm. my sister actually it's really funny she never ever has seen any version of this play I have sent it to her um she's been invited to readings she's not gone so she actually doesn't really know anything about it which is fine because you know now and she maybe never will Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was one of those things where we you know we're very close for a very long time and then you know you get to a certain point where you're like no no no, these are my boundaries and I was the and again Marta exactly what you were saying I'm I'm the oldest and I feel like we carry so much Mm -hmm. sometimes and we feel obligated to stay we feel like it's all gonna fall apart if we leave um and it's really difficult mm-hmm. but sometimes it's like you, know, you got you got to put on your oxygen mask first <laughs> facts mm-hmm. listen but what's funny is i'm the oldest and i'm the complete opposite my sister is the one who still talks to the parents and tries like call your daddy i'll talk to your mama and that's you know that's we got the mm-hmm. same mom same dad but that's how we talking um i was as soon as I hit 18, I was gone and I did not look back. Wow. And I don't regret it. Um, Because why? Because I refused mom, dad, sister, cousin to hold me back, hold me down and keep me in a box. And you didn't lose Um, them. I I didn't, but I found myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now I'm still going through like the triggers that, my family put me through or why I behave the way I behave and trying to build a relationship with my father because I had told him, I was like, why do you keep bringing up this shit when I was little? I don't remember. And I remember that I don't remember because it was traumatic. Mm. So I don't remember a lot of my childhood because I, yeah. as my therapist say, forgot that shit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, why don't you ask me how my day is? And so my dad has these fond memories of a child that the child didn't have fond memories of, but he wants to bring that up because it's a great memory and I'm his little girl. But I'm like, why don't you get to know me as an adult? And we can talk about that because what you're saying, I don't fucking remember it. Mm. I wasn't having a good time. That child doesn't exist anymore. Wow. That child doesn't exist. I'm healing that child. I'm mothering that child. I'm being the mother that I needed to myself currently. Mm. In your child work. I am doing... So wait, is that cathartic for you, Rosa, for writing it? Inner child. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm doing I've been doing so much inner child work, but it's so funny because like I'm I this is this is coming at such an interesting time because again I like wrote it, rewrote it, did did revisions on it, and then I put it on the shelf. I remember I I even have like Mm. an Instagram post where I was like I'm putting this on the shelf for like a while now. Um, so it's very I'm actually going to be going into it pretty fresh this week. I didn't revisit it because I was like, no, I want to like, wow. I just want to hear it. Like, it's like for the first time. Um, but I've, spent, I've spent like the no last pressure. year doing a lot of like inner child work. And I'm the problem with the inner child work, it's wonderful and it's necessary. But once you get past it, once you are you do that work, you start going into the angsty teen. The angst, mm. angry. You don't think of the whole process. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I was never, I was, I was never that. I wasn't the angsty teen ever, and I think that that was for a very specific mm. reason. I don't think I had the space to be when I was younger. So I actually find that now that I've been doing all this work on myself, I'm like, I'm a very angsty teenager now, and I'm just like, 
there's this angst that's coming up and this resentment that's coming up about my parents specifically, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. difficult. It is cathartic, but I'm, I'm, I can't even tell you, I'm so excited to get to Texas <laughs> and to hear this play again and to hear it with the, I, I just love your voices already. I was just like seeing the promos and I'm so excited about the promotional videos that were coming out. But like, I was like, these are the voices I had in my head. It's so cool. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Kendrick, I'm not going to lie. Kudos and flowers to you. That trailer was organic, <laughs> authentic. Yes. All I heard was Mika's fucking voice in the back <laughs> the whole fucking time. I was like, wait, wait, wait where's everybody else? But wait, did y'all hear me channel Janet? What have you done for you lately? <laughs> you love you some Janet. <laughs> you you got me, I do. You me lately. <laughs> no, I, I so, appreciate I that. I had Kendrick. so much fun making that trailer with y'all. Like, just honestly watching y'all being y'all's zone being y'all's moment like it nearly brought tears to my eyes i get emotional about stuff like that like seeing other people be great at what they do <laughs> you know like i don't know but it, it was just so amazing uh, and it seemed like y'all enjoyed getting getting into that character you know um so i was glad to just be able to bring that together y'all y'all rocked it y'all rocked Really? Yeah, I've never seen a trailer for a play. That was yeah. right. Brilliant. And it's and the way that it was done too, right? Because it's not you're not using text from the play, which I think is like, eh, who cares, right? For me, what was cool about the promotional stuff is that you could tell it's like you guys did the work. You guys know your characters. Okay, now just ad lib like a quick thing, a little blurb about what what your character's feeling in this moment. And I was like, oh, I love this because this is like, and it's it's the actor side of me too, right? Because like I'm first and foremost, I was an actor, and I'm like, I love this. This is so like geeky theater stuff that I'm like really into. So yeah, no, really love to see that. Um, I'm so excited about this. Sorry. Yeah. So when did you lines from the play? I'm sorry. What? So the trailer wasn't lines from the play. No. No, no. no. They wrote their own monologue. We had yeah, to it was super it. like when, <laughs> Oh wow. When when Kendrick came to me with the idea, like, I wanna do this, what do you think? I was like, absolutely. Cause again, also complete theater geek. I'm like, that's exactly what every actor wants to do is to just dive in into their roles and, they did. and really like, they, like I'm not own it. And it was incredible. It was amazing. It was amazing. Everybody, like everybody figured out how to reach within and bring out that character. Cause there's somehow that character exists inside of us for real. So we figured out a way to bring that out and talk about it. And you know, I'll be honest, like this let's hello. We went through a whole pandemic. So in 2020 still going. Mm-hmm. In 20 Yeah, you're right. We're still in a pandemic. For those of you who don't know, wear your mask, okay? Get vaccinated if you're not. Do what you need to do. Wash your hands. Hello. Stop touching people. Do what you're supposed to do. Okay. Garlic boy. and ginger. <laughs> Turmeric. Add turmeric. Jesus. Okay, that prevent monkeypox though. She said Jesus. Add Jesus. Jesus. Look, Holy Spirit All and, of them. <laughs> and and onion. Boil it, drink it with apples. Okay, Sin. we will. We, no. you know what? I, I appreciate that. We will include a recipe at the end of the episode. <laughs> Look, oh yeah, you did give me that recipe when I had COVID. Yeah, I wanted to say, yeah, exactly. You need you definitely need honey. Um, but I wanted to say that when I auditioned for the play, it was in 2020, and it was on my birthday, January 26th. 
However, it was also the day that Kobe died. So it was like my birthday, but Kobe died. My birthday, but Kobe died. I'm my birthday. I'm in on addition, but Kobe died. So it was like really fucked up. But also, um, I did not know if I was Julia or Millie. I didn't know. I was like, am I Julia? I have been Julia in my life. I have been the person who stayed and didn't do what she wanted to do and let time just go by and did what the family needed to, you know, what the family needed and sacrificed in the way that the family needed without the family sometimes realizing that I wasn't okay, um, that I wasn't making sound decisions, that the only person, the only people I was thinking about was them and never myself. Um, and they benefited from that. Um, not in a mm-hmm. malicious way, maybe, but in a way that was very like, you know, whatever she has going on is her business. But right now this is benefiting us. Um, but then mm-hmm. there was a time when I left. And when I left, it was very Millie-like where the family resented me. And it was hard to, um, even to the, to the day, it's, I read that, what you said, Rosa, resonates with me about your little sister not speaking to you or you not speaking to your little sister anymore. My little sister is a cousin. Um who we don't really have a great relationship. Um, and we used to, like I taught her how to ride a bike. I taught her how to read. She was, we were so close. I did her hair all the time. Like we were so close. But when I left, I don't think she understood why I needed to leave, how important it was Mm -hmm. for me to move on. And there is a line where, you know, I won't tell the whole story because y'all need to come out and see this play. But there is a line (laughs) where Millie says, like, I thought if I, I thought if I didn't leave, then I never would. And that's exactly where I was. If I never left, I never would. Because when I had the energy to leave, it was like the only time that I ever felt that energy. And if I didn't take advantage of that, it wasn't going to happen. And I think even to the day, I would still be there. And I would not know who I was. Yeah. And so it's very sad, but it's also very liberating. I miss her. I grieve the relationship. But I I would never... um, I would never uh, trade the experience of living my life and knowing who I am and learning who I am for having a relationship with someone who couldn't see, you know, the value in, you know, leaving, you know, yeah. family yeah. basically and, just and they, me. They didn't speak to me for, for a little while. Yeah. They didn't speak to me. It was really hurtful, but yeah. And, it's, and in many ways, that's like, that's you breaking the curse. That's you breaking that generational pattern. Um, and it, it has to start with someone. It has to start with someone. And it's hard when you are that first initial, like initial break mm-hmm. in the chain. Mm-hmm. Um, because even though I left because of being the firstborn Latin daughter in a Latin family and everything that that entails, um, I love my family. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. But there has always been a lot when it came time to put down boundaries and this is how far you can come into my private life. And what I do and what I don't do does not concern you. <laughs> and it's none of your business. To establish us was really difficult. However, my mom was the first break in the chain of her family. So for her, she kind of was always in the back burner going like, do you hmm. be independent go see how the world will treat you for yourself she and, and it's something really cool that i appreciate my mom and my dad both very much for is that they were those breaks in their and those and those chains of their family and that generational curse um in terms of they were always like yeah go see the world do what you need to do because we did it so y'all could do it hmm. 
And I think it's so important that in every family, there's that one person who goes, you know what? It doesn't have to be the way it is just because it's the way it is. Um, In this story, like, not to give everything away because I'm not giving anything away. You don't even know, you know, what happens. Um, Does she or doesn't she? And I think that question mark of, is she the new start for her family? Is she the one who's going to be the one who, you know what? I need to follow Millie's lead and live for myself a little bit. And will she or won't she? I think it's, it's very important and it'll make other people think about it as they sit in the audience and watch it. And like, oh. Yes, and... There are lines from baby that sting. Mm-hmm. Yes. And oh, absolutely. Because it's a very much like baby's a little sister for y'all who don't know. And it's very much like I hear her voice that I just told you about saying, mm-hmm. well, you left when we needed you the most, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, bitch, if I was alone, I would have never left. <laughs> I wouldn't have been mm-hmm. good for anybody. Not even for mm-hmm. myself. I didn't even want to be here. Let's yeah. be real. That's yeah. TMI. No, and that's another beautiful. That's TMI. <laughs> like I did not. And that's another. Mm-hmm. Oh no, sorry. It's just that's another beautiful thing about this story. It's no character is in black and white. There's no villain. We live in There's the- no bad person. It's shades of gray. And us as human beings, we are shades of gray. Mm-hmm. We're capable of wonderful beautiful amazing things and we're also capable of doing horrible and terrible things Mm -hmm. right against each other and ourselves Mm -hmm. and in the story you could clearly see all those shades of gray and everything in between Mm -hmm. um because some people are gonna take offense to milagro some people are gonna take offense to millie Mm -hmm. to baby to whomever because there's a little bit of that gray Mm -hmm. in every character they're not defined as good bad Mm -hmm. Right. Just um, not even Julia herself. Let's just experience it. Oh, yeah. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. I I oh, just no. wanted Rosa, to elevate what you said, Martha, because like the idea of like breaking the curse. That heavy. <laughs> and that's and that's the mm-hmm. idea. Heavy. Of, okay. heavy. Very heavy. You have Very to do something sort of revolutionary to be able to break the curse. Is I think. The, that's it's not for it's not for people that aren't ready right like you have to be ready you might not do it this lifetime and that's a that's a hard pill to swallow but like i feel like especially mm-hmm. like our generation is having this reckoning you know we have movies like encanto we have movies mm-hmm. like um uh turning red um, just yeah. recently one of my favorite now made it into the top five mm-hmm. favorite movies of all time uh everything everywhere all at once My favorite. I took Kyra. I took Kyra. It's so good. And it was my second time. It It is God's work. I saw the trailer. I was like, and and you know when when your ancestors are like, you have to, you have to watch this movie. This is for you. This is for you. I and I have kids, you know. So like, I (laughs) I remember watching everything everywhere all at once. It just it completely destroyed me. But somehow I could see Mm -hmm. myself in the mom, and I could see myself Mm -hmm. in the daughter. And then I watched it with my 13 year old and we were just crying. We were just crying together. Yep. Listen, I was talking to somebody about that movie and I was like, I've never cried for some rocks that were just, it were rocks. They were rocks. (laughs) Yes. And I was bawling my eyes out. And I was bawling my eyes out. They said nothing. 
<laughs> they said nothing. They said nothing. <laughs> I've never heard of this movie. Neither have I. I'll watch it. It's incredible. And like, I'm not sure. Disney Plus cut the check. I just mentioned your name. They re-release it in the movie theaters. I think. Yeah. I want to see it. There's an alternative ending too. It's so good. Yeah. So yeah. this this story and this topic and these themes are not limited to people who are just people who leave. Right? They're mm-hmm. also they're also very revelatory about people who are in the family, mm-hmm. who are not doing things the way the family does things, who are not and traditional, who, say, yeah. who decide to go a different route, maybe, but I'm still here. So see me, because I'm still here, even if I'm not doing things the way dad did it, or mom did it, or the bishop, or whoever. So I want to make sure that I create, you know, that I open up. Yeah. Okay. So I want to make sure that I open up space for that. So I really want to hear from y'all. Like, where where do you, where does this resonate for you? Where does this land for you, Kyra? Um, so I don't, so it's very, my family dynamic is very weird. So my mother's Jamaican, you know, you have that immigrant, the immigrant parent, um, all of those things. And I feel like all immigrant parents say the same thing. You're either going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Like, that's the only place you can go. And that's it. Um, with my sister, she became a lawyer. With me, um, I think because my sister did those things, I was a little bit more freer to explore <laughs> the way that I wanted to. Um because I went to school, I did all of those things. I did the things that I was supposed to. And like currently right now, I still live at home with my mother because I'm just like, who's going to pay rent the way that this world is set up? And you have an entire house that you live in by yourself on your own. Let us like, I don't. And I, 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 I always say that I feel like uh, African-Americans are the only people that kick their children out at 18. Everybody else is like, <laughs> everybody else is like, no, stay. Facts. Like, stay, build up before nah, you. My mom, I think it depends on my the family, mom tried to marry me off at 16. But she didn't try to like kick you out on your own. She tried to give you to someone. She did. She kicked me out at 12 years old. I was, I, that's why I lived in the Bronx. Well, <laughs> it's a unique experience. Let's let Kyra, let's let Kyra finish. Go ahead, Kyra. <laughs> I was like, Frankie, your life is a unique experience. Right, Right, the whole thing. Go ahead, Kyra. (laughs) Uh, But just like at that, so like now I'm over 30, don't have kids. And I love my mother because she doesn't pressure that thing. But, you know, other family members do. But I'm also like, I know what it looks like. Again, my older sister. I know what it looks like when someone prepares for their kids. Before my sister, I didn't know that I didn't know that that was a thing that you could prepare to have kids in order to give them all the things in the world. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I look at what that looks like when somebody was mentally, physically, emotionally, financially prepared to have a kid. And what the like, my niece and nephew are seventeen and fifteen now, and the smartest, like most just intellectual kids I have ever met because they have been given every opportunity because my sister made sure that they were, that she was available to do that. And I'm like, if I can't, if I can't raise a kid like that, I don't want it. (laughs) Don't want want it at all. But I'm here still in my family doing the things. I just do them differently. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still a part of the family. I'm still in this thing. I just don't, I don't subscribe to the norms of what everybody else thinks the things are. That is bold because you stayed and still did things your way. I knew that I had mm-hmm. to leave to do things my way. Mm. That's, mm-hmm. But maybe that was also a fear. Yeah. yeah. See, I left to do things my way 
knowing I could have stayed because my parents would have, you know, my family would have been supported if I had stayed. But it took for me to leave to figure out that the only person holding me back was me. I was in my own bubble. Um, and the safety of routine and the safety of other family members and the safety of going down a, a town where I know each nook and crevice, right? I've, that's my whole entire life. My high school was across the street from my college campus. My college campus is right next to my middle school. And behind my middle school was my elementary school, right? Girl, you have to go. <laughs> my world. That's too my close. World, and, and even though I traveled and I was blessed with having parents that were they traveled in the military because they were both in the military. So they traveled extensively and they make sure to, you know, show us the world through books, through movies, through art, through a little bit of traveling. Even though I had that knowledge, it was very much like book, like in a, you, something you see in a book in a page. And mm-hmm. once I left and I was already 25 years old, I was, I was halfway grown up. Because now I'm 31, and I'm like, you were a child. But anyway, um, I was halfway a grown-up. And when I left, I was like, oh, so this is the world. And this is what I have to offer. And it's been like a journey in figuring out who I was outside of my family. And there was no one holding me back but literally myself. And I couldn't see that being amongst them. Um, So mm. that kind of goes into the question I was going to ask earlier. And I think, Martha, you kind of just answered that. Um, But everybody else, I want to know, like, what was your breaking point? Like, what was your moment where you were like, ha! and I got to go? Because if not, I'm going I'm to end up on yeah. the first 48. Somebody's going to die. Like, <laughs> So what, what, precipit- what precipitated my break? I was I had a mental breakdown and I it's a full mental breakdown with like no joke. It was 3 a.m. in the morning writing my master's degree dissertation and realizing that I, I never wanted to leave Puerto Rico. And I'm going to get a little emotional because I never really wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized I couldn't stay mm. because what I was trying to do for myself, I couldn't really survive and thrive in Puerto Rico, right? I do artwork. I do um, I'm an educator and that's not something where I could really thrive in, in Puerto Rico. So I came to that realization at 3am in the morning and I was like, what am I going to do with myself? I never want to leave here, but I can't stay here. Um, so in a fever and one of my panic induced moments, I looked up internship opportunities for museum education, found one in Dallas applied that same week and out of the 200 applicants nine were chosen and I was one that's crazy yeah you were supposed to be here and I and that was it like two months later I had packed all my belongings from my childhood bedroom and I was out and I was here wow so you just left your books because I heard you say I can relate to that that shit is so powerful um (laughs) I (laughs) I had a nervous breakdown, but also I was bleeding out my asshole. And I was mm. like, I got cancer. What? <laughs> yeah, I went to the emergency room. And then, That's what did you say? <laughs> oh, I'm bleeding out my asshole. Okay. Fix well, it. Sure. I got cancer. Do the st- test. Do the things. <laughs> and he said, after an assessment, mm. you're actually depressed. I said, what? I like, hey, wow. 
I it was bleed internal bleeding because I was stressed. And yeah. after therapy, mm-hmm. there I was like, I want to leave. I've been in like a serial monogamous after my I was married at eighteen, and then divorced, and then constantly in in uh, different serial monogamous relationships. And I was like, I want to leave the country. I read the book The Alchemist, and I was floored. The Alchemist is the oh shit. My gosh. How did you get yeah, leaving I the country? I, I read that at least once a year. I was like, but so by Paolo Coelho. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you? So for me, every time someone says like I read The Alchemist and I decided to leave the country, I'm like, but the point of The Alchemist was right. that all the things that you needed <laughs> to were come back. Okay, we're home. And that's why whenever I left a country, I saw my family. I lived with a host family in Sarkatuelo underneath Russia. And all I saw was my dad and my mom. And I said, we're all the Mm. fucking same. Yeah. I went home with that knowledge. Like I can be tolerant of someone's ethnicity, Mm. sexual orientation, gender identity. We're all, we're all doing the same. We have the same problems Mm. and human brain humans were their first language was emotion and if we learned that we need to speak with our emotion first i think we'd be better off as a better tribe a better family but we don't know how to do that as a culture yet mm-hmm. and it, it just mm-hmm. so yeah the whole point of the book is to go home and i went home appreciating mm-hmm. my family and giving mm-hmm. them grace for all the fucked up things mm-hmm. they did not know how to do it's just mm. if they were if, if we go ahead and just base it off environment environment didn't set up for success anyways it's crazy sometimes you have to leave home to find your way back home to yourself Ooh. Ooh. a word does anybody else want to share because i haven't heard from kedrin he's a little <laughs> I even yeah i actually um do want to share just like because i've been like hearing everything that y'all been saying i'm just like i relate I relate. <laughs> I relate. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> but the way that I found my connection to this story, and it just like dawned on me whenever I realized that this was a self-discovery journey for Julia, and just how she's getting pressures from family, and she's also feeling this pressure from um, uh, from Nene. I had to take a look at myself and feel like, okay, well, damn, like, where have I gotten those pressures from? And where have I felt like I needed to find my voice? Um, And that was me understanding my sexuality, understanding who I am and coming to terms with that that I'm gay and having to, as a kid, 12, 13 years old and really dealing with this, like my family knowing that it wasn't right or it wasn't acceptable to them. And the whole, you know, religious thing, how does this play in? Mm-hmm. Girl, it was exhausting. Honey. <laughs> was exhausting. Yeah, I mean, at that age, I can only You know, and, and that, honestly, by the time I hit 13, that was my breaking point. I think that was the start of my journey because I, I realized that, you know, I don't think I was... Maybe I was depressed. I don't know, but I, I know I felt just so low. So yeah, I, I would consider that depressed. Um, and I just felt so out of hope. I felt hopeless. Um, and really all I 
could think backwards. I know it, it's kind of strange though, because the thing I feared the most <clears throat> when it come down to my, when it came down to religion was honestly the thing that got me through my depression. Um, mm. And I, I prayed, I just, I literally just prayed and I felt like this overcoming peace, like just, just come and then from that point on, like, I, it was just like, look, you're good, bro. Like, stop tripping. <laughs> but, you know, everybody mm. has like a different thing of what they may think that uh, a higher power may sound like. Mine is like my best friend over here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like look, bro, stop <laughs> tripping. Like, you're good. Like, I love you. So I think from that point on, I was able to kind of mm. start finding some, some, like, some stability within who I was. Now, it took me some time to kind of come out and, you know, so I, I didn't, that didn't happen to like my senior year. I think this happened, oh, it was like the end of my junior year. So it took some time to really gain that confidence, um, but I got it. And really, I got it whenever I left to go to school and college. So it took me leaving home. Uh, when you got to yeah, it took me leaving home in order to really find myself. And I like didn't look back. And it's been the most freeing, the most powerful. That's when I really realized being able to find love for myself is when I realized how powerful I am as a human being. Wow. And love that for you. I appreciate it, man. Like I'm, I'm just so thankful for it because I, I get to sh- uh, share that love with other people. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's amazing. Like I, I just whenever I look back at it, I'm just like, dang, like I've came a long way. Yeah, and I'm so thankful for it, mm-hmm. and to be able to um, to share that with Julia is, you know, because she's finding her voice through the story too. And I was just like, wow, like this, this just really resonates, and this is a powerful story because anybody that can go back and think about, you know, where they came from and everything that they've been through, where they are now, mm-hmm. and standing up for themselves and and putting themselves first. Like, it's strong, man. It's a powerful message. It's powerful. Uh, Rosa? Can I, can I, <laughs> I guess, like, what what did you do to put yourself first? Like, how did you put yourself first? Um, It was really understanding the fact that, like, people's opinions are not, they're nothing to me. I just had to get over that fear of, of fearing, of having fear of other people. Because everybody's a human being. We're all people. I'm me. I'm myself. I'm Kendrick. I will get nowhere in my life if I feared other people. Like I, That's what really allowed me to build that confidence within myself and understand the power that I had um, within myself. So... So, yeah, I would say that it was really getting over that fear of other people. Um, now, of course, what helped was getting away from my parents. <laughs> because, you know, yeah. mom and dad are always going to be mom and dad, you know. So right. um, getting away from them and just being able to at least be in my own space and being like, look, if they not, you know, for lack of a better word, if they not fucking with me, then they ain't fucking with me. Like, <laughs> That's right. There you go. And and I just keep it moving. I keep it pushing. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But they love you. So they probably feel right. 
But like, <laughs> but, and if they're still fucking with you, but then don't accept you, because that's my problem at the moment with my father. If, uh, well, yeah, I didn't see, say if they're still yeah. If they still try to fuck with you, but then don't accept who you are or the boundaries that you have set in place, you got to be like, well, I ain't fucking with you. Like... <laughs> I, mm, I, I know you want this relationship, but if you can't grow, I got to let you go. Yeah, yeah agree. That's yeah. real talk. We can't just have this relationship mm-hmm. on your terms. Mm-hmm. You know, there are new terms in place. This is a new generation. I'm a little different. So there are new terms in place. And can you abide or can you can you agree to these terms? Mm-hmm. What's so interesting mm-hmm. about that, you that know, boundary thing is that I, I've always, that's part of the fear that I had, even like when I came out or when I told people that I was gay, I still had that fear of like, maybe they won't, you know, be my friend or maybe they would just still have like this boundary set up or this blockade. And because of, you know, my sexuality, especially with other straight men, what I came to realize, because I I wasn't, I ran track in college. So I was surrounded by a lot of <laughs> straight men. All my teammates were like that. Like it was. <laughs> Frankie, shut up! I wasn't gonna say Hell it. Yeah, I'm gonna say it. What? Yeah, that tail. He saw all that tail running around. <laughs> He's so fine. He was He's like, so That's fine. Why I'm track to run after this ass. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I had a scholarship, but I'm not mad at you, them boys. Girl, stop. <laughs> we are. Stop it. Stop. Stop. Let him continue talking. We are not going to object to my Kendrick. I appreciate the compliment. I receive that. I I receive it. Thank you. (laughs) I always think of him. He's so cute. He is just so beautiful. um, That that was a fear of mine. And um, what I realized, though, is that they didn't care. They did not care. It was the total opposite. It was like, KD, bro. But I think at that point in time, they knew who I was. You know what I'm saying? They knew my character and that's kind of another thing that i always bring with me along with my um with my pride of being queer so it's like i always bring my character i always bring my work and i never shy away from letting people know i'm a gay black man because there are other julias out there that are other people like me out there who need that guidance you know Julias and Julios. Yes, yeah, see. So it's like if I if I can have a platform and have a voice, I believe that that can essentially, hopefully, it's inspirational to somebody else. So you know, mm-hmm. I'm always those are the things I bring with me, and I'm always rooting for my community. So. Yeah, that's why it's so important to hear a different version of the same story. There isn't just one story. The 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 uh the danger of a single story is a real thing. That's a real thing. And representation is so important because seeing someone on stage or seeing someone in film or seeing someone hearing somebody on a podcast or whatever, mm-hmm. seeing someone act out who they are fully and you can identify with them helps you say, you know what, if they could do it damn, maybe I can too. Like for me, you know, to answer your question, Kyra, like it was very difficult for me to decide I'm going to leave my family and do my own thing. What happened for me was that I, con- I constantly saw a pattern 
you know, I constantly saw a pat a pattern of we're okay, we're not okay, we're okay, we're not okay, we're okay, we're not okay. But the parts where we weren't okay were because of decisions that people were making in the family that just weren't conducive to anybody but that person. Mm. If I'm being honest. And so when I saw that we were on the up, just like Millie, <laughs> I left <laughs> when we were on the up. Cause I was like, you know what? While we good, I'm leaving. Because right now she's straight. She has a job. She can provide for the family. She doesn't need my income. I'm going to go. And I left. But I'll tell you what, when I left, I never mentally or emotionally left. Physically, I was gone. Mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, I was still bound. Because no matter what happened, I still saw myself as someone who, if I wasn't with this family, or if I wasn't with, with my family, then I didn't have like the blessings of, of God, the protection of God. Because outside of, I was outside of his will because I wasn't with them. So it was very difficult for me to think that I could have peace outside of being with my family. And so it took many, many years. I'm 38. It took many, many years for me to realize, like, you know what? If y'all could have a relationship with God or the universe or whatever you call it, then I can too. And if he's going to take care of you, then he's going to take care of me too. And it was like a trial and error kind of thing. And I spent a lot of years really worried about what bad things could happen because I wasn't with them. And then finally, I decided, like, you know what? Fuck it. Whatever happens, happens. I'm going to survive whatever happens. And things didn't happen so badly. The worst part, I will say, was that I lost my family for a little bit of time. Like, they weren't speaking to me, you know. Um, I mean, I heard everything. I was called every name in the book. I heard everything. Um, but I was just, and it felt really, really lonely and scary and isolating and terrible, but I knew that I felt better not being there. And so after some time, what ended up happening was I garnered some respect. Like, then they started asking me for help for shit, like guidance on certain things. You know what I mean? And then I realized like, you know what, 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 what changed for me after some time was like, I realized, oh, this is who I am in the family. Because for a little while I real I felt like I was in shit. Like, I left and I didn't mean anything to them. All I meant was, like, the help, right? Whatever the help was, financially or whatever. And then I left and it was like, we didn't have relationship anymore. And after some time, I realized that they missed me because they called me and stuff like that. And then I realized that I was instrumental. I was, you know, I was somebody who was loved in the family or whatever. And then it wasn't until many, many years later that they decided, like, oh, you know what? We don't know what she really does for a living. Ain't that some shit? We don't really know what she does for a living, but because it benefits us in this way, maybe we should find out or maybe we should explore that more. And then they got to know me on a different level. So that garnered some different, a different level of respect. And for me, it was like, I wasn't wrong all this time. I wasn't wrong, but it took a long time because I'm the kind of person who will beat herself up for a long time. And you know what I mean? I'm hard on myself, but there are people who are not like that. Rose, uh, not Rose, excuse me. Marta gets on to me all the time because I'm always apologizing if I like I miss a cue or miss a line. I'm like, I'm sorry. And she's like, stop, say sorry. And I'm like, damn, okay. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I, I was on my friend about that. Yeah, but I, I grew up love. apologizing for <laughs> everything. Do, I apologized for everything. Everything. Like, mm -hmm. you Doing things for myself, getting things wrong, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Like, you just apologize. You just constantly apologize. And it's almost like your barometer is based on whatever their barometer is. And it's like, I can't move forward. I can't move past that because they haven't set the standard 
or what level, what standard they have set, I haven't met or I've exceeded. So if I'm not there, whether I've exceeded it or I'm below it, if I'm not where their standard is, I'm fucked up. Excuse my language, but yeah. I was hoping that this could be a cleaner episode since, you know, I talked to Kendrick about it. <laughs> I was like, why are you <laughs> promoting this episode? But I mean, it's just real. <laughs> no, no. I don't usually, I don't usually apologize. I do a lot yeah, of cussing like, on, huh? this, on this podcast. But <laughs> yes. This is kinked as fuck. And every time I'm like, stop apologizing. Thanks. I say it with love and understanding. I suffer from the same syndrome along with the yes syndrome. It's always, oh, sure, yeah, I can do that. And, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm I'm like, Lord? And I I can hear my ancestors going, why are you apologizing for? To who? For whom? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're right. Mm -hmm. I'm not sorry. I haven't done anything that garners an apology. I'm existing in the world as I am. And that should be enough Mm -hmm. for everyone involved. Mm Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, if we're talking about faith, I just felt like if you are very adamant about your faith, then the God that you say you serve can't be talking to you more about me than he is to me. One. And two, like, if he's going to protect you, then isn't he going to also protect me? And so I spent many times when I moved out the first time, I um, spent many days, weeks, months, maybe years picturing myself going up the steps and the steps just turning into a slide where I couldn't get it back up into my apartment. I pictured myself walking up to my apartment and my apartment door being kicked in. I pictured things happening that were like, I mean, it was literal, literal PTSD from feeling like I'm nothing unless I'm with them. And then having to figure out who I was throughout the process. And then Millie just gives like this voice where like my family is coming to see the show. Let's be real. They're coming to the, to see the show. And I've, I've talked to them about many things, but in the way that Millie presents herself, I didn't do that. You know what I mean? And so Millie's, Millie's going to basically share a message (laughs) that I didn't particularly share. So thank you, Rosa. (laughs) And thank you, Marta. (laughs) But at the same time, it's a little daunting because it's like, ooh, this is real. And on the other side of that, there are other feelings. So it's like you've made your decision, but there are other feelings, you know? Like baby has feelings because of you leaving. You know what I mean? Milagro still felt you leaving the mom. She still felt your absence, you know? Whether she cares about you or fucks with you or not, heavy or not, she still felt it. You know what I mean? And Julia's over here like... What am I supposed to do? I don't want to be you, but I also don't want to be here. You know? Um, I think that's a great way to kind of come up with our last question um, to kind of wrap us up for today. And I want to pose this question to our three guests. Um, Rose, I want to end with you. Um, But I want, if you could sum up in one word, I guess, what is the one thing that you need? What is the superpower, I guess, that you need to break the curses in your life? So for our audience members, what are those things? What is that one, the one thing that they need in order to break the curse of their family or break the curse of whatever it is that they are going through or working through? I'll give you, I'll give you a little tiny second. Nick, Kevin, uh, <laughs> I'm going to start with you and then Martha and then Rosa. I said Kevin. Your name is not Kevin. Your name is Kendrick. Who is Kevin? I don't know. (laughs) 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 She tired. She tired, y'all. It was the first day of school today. I'm sorry. She been doing her thing. She needs to go to bed. What's that boy name? Uh, Kevin. 
Uh, come over here, Kevin. Kendrick. <laughs> Kendrick. Kendrick, whenever you're ready. You're muted, babe. You're muted. You're muted. My bad. Okay, here we go. Can y'all hear me now? Yes. Okay. Yes. But I would say the first key or the first thing that I feel someone should have in order to break the curse. Now, this is just the first one, but I think it's awareness. I think mm. once you become aware of a problem, issue, curse, um, your sexuality, whatever it is, once you become aware, I think that is very important because then you build on top of there. Now, because what happens next, and Marta, you may, you may carry on to follow up with that but what happens next is very important right because you got to take the action whatever it is but awareness it it all starts with being aware for sure you can't unsee Mm -hmm. it right martha Mm -hmm. Ooh, a word um i think awareness is a great one and i like it's not a word, more than a phrase. Follow your, follow your instincts. Trust yourself, your spirit, your soul, your whatever energy you want to call it, whatever you call it, knows when you are in the right place, where you are with the right people. The vibrations will tell you when it's right, when it's wrong. Like, trust yourself. And trust, sorry, that's my cat, y'all. I'm sorry. She was going to make an appearance like at one point or the other. She's right down there. Um, but yeah, like, I am someone who believes in energy and vibrations and your soul knows when you are in the wrong place. When that thing we call instincts, that thing we call like a knowing, listen to it, trust it because it'll tell you nine times out of 10 if you are where you're supposed to be. Um, and before we move to Rosa, I just want to like, thank you for, cause I know Miss Teresa offered this to me and that you talked before you talked with me, but thank you for putting this beautiful story into words. And I'm grateful that I have been allowed by the universe to help put it on stage and make it come through, through these amazing actors in, the, in this cast and, production team i can't wait for you to be here and meet everyone and i am so 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 grateful to you for for that for this and this opportunity to just share the best through the puerto rican lens like you know people you know well, people I'm gonna, on me. that note so, first of all you. thank you for that um but on that note i'm gonna i'm gonna confess something that i um i i want to make uh-huh. sure that i acknowledge this but it's so funny um mentioned i was born and raised in, in brooklyn uh to peruvian and Cuban parents. I'm not even Puerto Rican. Yeah, yeah. No way for it. Yeah. And what? So what's crazy about <gasps> this? I, I think that Rosa in 2022, having done the anti-racism work that I'm doing now, and all the things that I know now, I would never have written this story exactly the way it was. Probably wouldn't be called Curse of the Puerto Ricans. Uh, because that's not, you know, now I have that awareness of like, this isn't my story to tell, right? Um, but I have such a love and, and great, you know, the, the opposite exists in New York city where there's, there is nothing but Puerto Ricans everywhere you go. So I grew up 
around Puerto Ricans. I went to a Pentecostal Puerto Rican church. <laughs> I married a Puerto Rican. I just, I, there was not a Cuban nor a Peruvian to be found in my childhood. So I wrote, I wrote what I knew, right? And um, I don't think I would write it now, but I am, I, I did, I did put in my own experiences because I, I still think that that is applicable and uh, my husband's experiences. Um, but I wanted to talk about that because I think it's important to talk about that and just making sure that, you know, we're writing from, you know, we're, we're being responsible about the stories that we're telling and how we're telling them. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to maneuver that moving forward. But, um, to go back to the question that Kira had, um, I think that the word that I would use is self-love. I think that is that is one of the, the, the hardest mm -hmm. things to do when you're having a conversation about family and especially as um, people of color, you're taught to always put yourself second. You're taught to be sort of the sacrificial lamb. Women are, I mean, from the time we're born, we're taught to put mm -hmm. ourselves second, third, fourth, whatever it takes, as long as everyone else is taken care of. Um, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And then when you, when you talk Black about Hispanic, your... When you talk about your family in a negative light, everybody always says, oh, but that's, that's, it doesn't matter. That's your mom. That's your dad. That's your sister. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, and then we all the <laughs> that's in the blood. No, but, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I was like seeing this TikTok <laughs> the other day and it's like, yeah, you've only got one mom. You've only got one dad. I've only got one me. And that's what no one. That's what no one fucking says. I've only got one. Week. Yeah, that part. That's it. Yeah. And to that. That part is crucial. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's the other thing. Boy. It's like, as a, as a parent, I'm, I'm definitely like, you know, my kids can be douchebags sometimes, but I'm like, you know, they didn't ask to be here. So I have to be good to them. I have to be kind. And, um, but yeah, just to, you know, since we're, since we're being potty mouthed in, in this episode. And we're going also well. Yeah, when you Kendrick, when you were talking about that, it's like, yeah, do you fuck with me? It's like <laughs> I my thing is when it comes to having relationships with my family and the way that they treat me, if they treat me badly, my new thing is if you don't give a shit, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> That's where I have to be with it. Why? Because I'm gonna put me first. There you go. I have Real to life. I was all over the place. I apologize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I was about to say no, but it was perfect. Because yeah, no, I was no, like, that's the sound good. bite for the episode. Yeah. If you don't fuck with me, fuck you. Yeah. Like, there you go. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> don't give a shit. Don't so I know fuck. Kyra is going to wrap us up. And I just want to say I'm super, super, super grateful that the three of you were able to join us. I know that Rosa, this was not easy for you for two weeks. You were trying to figure out how the hell all the airport, airport flight moving husband, what voice lost. I don't know what <laughs> she literally went through everything before she could record this episode with us. So I really appreciate you. You all taking the time. Kendrick, Marta, thank you so much for everything that you're doing to promote this um, show um, to to direct it, to promote it, to just make sure that it's out there and visible. Um, for those of you who would love to see the show, which I know you do, come on, really, come on, seriously. We open on Saturday the 13th. There is a preview night on Thursday the 11th. Um, however, this episode, by the time this episode airs, we will have already had our opening. And so just 
don't delay hurry because the tickets are going by going pretty quickly um like i said puerto ricans are very happy happy that we're more visible so they're buying these tickets by bulk. <laughs> i have family like, coming bulk. from like for from real Kuwait. like i have people coming from Hello, from my Korea. job literally bought bulk tickets. Like, <laughs> wow. so just make sure that you you guys uh, check out Bishop Arts District. Bishop Arts uh, I'm sorry, Bishop Theater Center. Um, help me out, you. Bishop, Art Bishop Center. Arts Theater Center. You don't even know where you work, <laughs> right? Bishop Arts Theater Center. Get your tickets. Um, we have Saturday and Sunday matinees. I would love to see you. Um, if you happen to uh, catch the show, leave a comment. Make sure that you follow and review us and uh, all of those things. And Kyra's going to wrap us up in the most professional and wonderful way that she does. <laughs> yeah, again, thank you for coming. Um, Kendrick, if you would like to you know, uh, add in a more concise version of where to find tickets and <laughs> where where people and how long yes, y'all are running, help. that would be great. Yes, it's definitely. definitely uh, you can find tickets on our website at www.bishopartstheater.org. Um, and yeah, y'all get, get them soon. And Go what ahead and get those dates? tickets. We're oh, the rates. Them. So in, be in between, um, 20 to $30 for tickets. No, uh, just uh, depending on what day. The what day, the dates of the, the show. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You said. <laughs> I was like, that's an odd thing to say. <laughs> right. How much is going to cost? <laughs> I mean, somebody needs to know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, take $5. From, from August the 11th to August 28th. Okay, so the August last day will be on August 28th. I also would like to add that we'll have uh, food trucks um, for every Saturday that the play will be showing. Um, Puerto Rican food, and then we'll also be having those artists um, showcased in the gallery. So we're gonna have like a whole experience here. You okay, know? so I'm coming yeah. on a Saturday. I'm cool. To Rosa, we'll artwork. have that money. We'll, we'll have, have that go. lasting at the pre-show and after. Yo soy de pe fucking R. My friend is the most to that bunny. That's all I've ever wanted. It's happening. Let's go. It's happening. It's on the pre-show list. It's on the post-show list. It's happening. Yes, oh, yeah. I love all of that. <laughs> all of the things. Um, so it. thank you so much for joining us. If anybody would like to get in contact with us, you can reach us at info at kinkedaf.com. That's info at K-I-N-K-D-A-F.com. Um, and I am Kyra. You can find me at Kyra Haley on Instagram and Facebook, K-H-I-R-A-H-A-I-L-E-Y. Crystal. And it's your girl, Crystal. And you can find me on Instagram at KYTO6. That's KTO6. Mika. I'm Mika. You can find me at Bronxtress. That's B O R B R O N X T R E S S. On Instagram. Guys, it's late. I've I've had some wine. It's the evening time. Hello. Y'all go ahead. Uh, Frankie? It's the last time you're having wine. $5 fine, bitch. Nah, I'm joking. <laughs> you can find me at Frankie Does Comedy with an I-E. Okay. I'm going to pass the mic to Kendrick. <laughs> I was going to spit bars, but it's too late, nigga. It's too late. No. No bars. Uh, you can find me um, on Instagram. My... 
um, at name is at M M A X X E. Okay. Max. And then Marta. You, y'all can find me as Dr. Marta TT13, and that's D R M A R T A T T13. That's me. Period. <laughs> she said, put some respect on her name. She's a doctor, okay? That's right. <laughs> Doctora, okay? Doctor. And the lovely Miss Rosa. Hmm? Rosa? Um, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, I am uh, at Rosa underscore creates underscore. And then I also have a YouTube plant channel that I don't post on anymore. But I'm, you can follow me at, at Drunken Homemaker. <laughs> yes, that Drunken, drunken Homemaker. Looking it up now. Yes. All right. Like All right, body. y'all. Are we ready for this? I Let's try it. this. Let's get this. And we're... We're no. King Ness. King Ness. We're going to get together one day. All right. <laughs> <laughs>